Well, hey, Involved Church, once again, we want to welcome you today. It's good to have you with us, taking some time to worship with us out of your weekend and come before God and acknowledge that we need him. Um, that's the last time that we get to see that intro video. Thanks, Evan, for doing that for us. Um, we're going to move into a new uh, part of the series, part three in Romans, next week. Um, but uh, but once again, just want to welcome you. I want to invite you to do something that's very, very important. If you could for us, please uh, head to involvechurch.com slash hub. And on there, uh, on your phone, you can tap on response card. And could you please fill out your information for us, especially if you're new or if you have a prayer request or if, uh, if there's anything that you want to communicate to the leaders of the church about. Could you please go to involvechurch.com slash hub and tap on response card and fill out that information for us so that we can come alongside you and take next steps of faith with you. That's really important to us that we're staying connected during this time. And uh, that's one way that we can do that. So involvechurch.com slash hub. Um, so at Involved Church, we say a lot about uh, the, this statement. Uh, we involve people in the life of Christ and we involve Christ in the lives of people. And so that, that's on the walls behind me even. Um, today's message, I think, is a very real, just, uh, just in, in, in uh, profound words, just a reminder that, uh, that God, that Christ is working even now to remind you that God loves you. So, uh, so as I was saying, we find ourselves on part two of our series in Romans. We've spent the last 20 weeks going through Romans 1 through 8 together, and it's been quite a journey so far. So um, just a few things I'm going to note up to this point. Um, so it's been amazingly insightful to see how each person is, is a sinner, and each person falls short of God's perfect standards. But it's been even more incredible to come to see and understand that God offers forgiveness for everybody who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. It's belief in his son Jesus, in his, in his death for our sins, and the fact that he rose again from the grave to make us right with God, uh, and that now we're free from our past lives of sin, we're free to move forward, um, we're free to live the life that God is calling us to live. It's just been awesome to be able to walk through that in, in the chapters that we've covered previously in Romans. And then also, uh, last week especially, Pastor Ryan did a fantastic job of showing how God has, has liberated, us, liberated us from the power of sin, how we have new life in the Spirit, and that there's even purpose in our suffering. And that suffering isn't meaningless, that there's, there's a purpose there, and it points us back to God, it encourages us to walk with Him, and it points us to the reality that this world is not what God originally intended it to be, that there's something not quite right with it, but we're looking forward, it causes us to look forward to the day when we'll be in a world that is good and perfect and completely right, and we long for that, uh, that world, for that day. And so that brings us to this week's message it, that wraps up this section of Romans at the end of chapter eight, uh, and Paul hits home this, this thought in this passage. God has shown you his love, so be certain of his love. Uh, we're going to be in Romans 8, but before we dive in, let's go ahead and pray once again together. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today, and as we approach your word, I, just, I, I ask that you'd help us to see the depths of your love, 
I ask that you help us to know that you love us. Despite the way we may feel right now, help us to see what Paul is trying to communicate to us. Help us to be certain and secure in the fact that you do love us. Help us to set aside the distractions. Help us to hear what it is you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's go ahead and read through the passage uh, together. If you're uh, new with this or if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a lot of ways you can get your hands on a Bible. If you have a phone with you, you can download the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, we also, if you're watching it live, involvedchurch.com, you can, there's a tab at the bottom of your screen. You can click Bible, and there's a Bible there for you to use. Um, again, at the hub, you can also go there and tap on messages, and there's a link to uh, the scripture that we're going through today. So let's go ahead and hit Romans chapter 8 verse 31, and it says this, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's an incredible passage of scripture. Um, so I'm going to quote to you somebody. I'm going to start out with a quote this morning. Horatius Bonner, um, a guy back in the 1800s. He's a hymn writer and, uh, and, and a theologian and a pastor. He says this, Uncertainty as to our relationship to God is one of the most enfeebling and dispiriting of things. It makes a man heartless. It takes the pith out of him. He cannot fight. He cannot run. He is easily dismayed and gives way. He can do nothing for God. But when we know that we are of God, we are vigorous, brave, invincible. There is no more quickening truth than this of assurance. Just another way to say that when, when you know that God loves you, when you know that God is for you and not against you, it has a world of a difference in your life. So one of the things that I bump up against uh, the most in ministry and in my own heart and my own life is this. Do we, do I really trust God? Do I really trust God? Do I really have faith that what he says is good and right and true? Do I really believe and do you really believe that God has your best interests at heart? Let's put it another way. Ultimately, do you know that God loves you? So being certain of God's love is life-changing. So when we're secure in God's love, when we know that everything that happens is a part of his good purpose for us, of his good purpose for you, there's nothing that can shake you. You're firm, you're immovable, you're steadfast, 
and you can, you can roll with the punches because you know that ultimately God loves you. And more than that, you're confident in walking in God's ways because you know that he's given you a guide for how to live life. And he says, do this and don't do this because he loves you. That's why he has certain do's and don'ts, because he loves you and he, he knows what's good and best for you. And I think that uh, many of us probably are convinced of God's love for us, though we struggle with that at times. I think in general, intellectually, we're convinced. But I believe also, and I see it happen in my life, in other people's lives, in your mind, in your heart, I think God knows that we grow discouraged. And he knows that life throws many things our way and that this world will try to make us believe that somehow, even after finding forgiveness in Jesus Christ, that we are not worthy of God's love. And so God gave these words to Paul. And if you're anything like me, someone that struggles against sin daily, fights against it, someone that sometimes struggles with the feeling that maybe God doesn't love me or doesn't love you, as someone who looks at how messed up the world is and, and wonders how long we're going to have to struggle through this and you're tempted to despair, you need this reminder from Paul at the end of Romans 8. So let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, the first thing is you can know that God is for you and not against you. He says in verse 31, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Paul, Paul makes, this is a profound statement. God's not against you and me. Um, he makes this statement, but he makes the statement that uh, if God is on our side, that nothing else matters. That's what he's saying here. God is the God of the universe. He's the creator of all things. If God is on our side, nothing else matters because we know that he loves us and that he is for us and not against us. That's what he means by who can be against us. And at this point, Paul seems to want to answer a question that some people might be raising. You might be raising it right now. You might be saying, okay, God is for me, not against me. Prove it. Prove it, Paul. Prove that God loves me. So the question comes down to this. Um, go with me in this direction. Uh, the question comes down to this. What lengths would you ask somebody to prove that they love you? What would you ask of them? Is it enough to simply say that I love you? Hey, I love you. Does that prove that somebody loves you? Um, what about giving you a gift like some chocolates or some flowers? If I just give you a gift, like chocolates or flowers, does that prove that I love you? Uh, what about occasionally coming around for holidays or you just drop, drop in to say hello? Um, hello, goodbye. Does that prove that I love you? So the Bible has something very interesting to say. I think it's just amazingly profound to say about what the greatest act of love is. And you know what's even more interesting, though? As you... Uh, as you look at some of the greatest stories that have ever been told, uh, some of the movies that have come out, uh, even in the last 50 years, some of those that rate the highest, some of those that are, I mean, tons of money put into them, uh, Hollywood loves this act. When the hero does this act, shows this act in their life, um, they love it. Secular movie makers love it when the hero does this. Look at what Jesus says is the greatest demonstration of. So the world agrees with this, and I mean, this, this started with Jesus. Here's what he says. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. 
In other words, the greatest demonstration of love is to sacrifice one's own life to save, a, save another. And this is exactly what Paul is pointing out in verse 32. Here's what, here's what God did for you. He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? So I come back to the question, what does God have to do to prove his love for you? He didn't even spare his own son, but to make a way for you, to give you peace, to give you joy, to make you right with him, to enable you to walk with him, he offered his only son up to death. So when I was, uh, when I was growing up in church as a kid, we did an annual Christmas program, and this was like a huge production every single year. We would prepare weeks for this thing. So some of you might know what I'm talking about. Like maybe your church did this growing up. Um, and they tried to involve every age group. So there was like weeks of like getting kids this tall to memorize like five words or something, you know. And, and then we'd all get our, our, uh, our, our costumes ready to go. And um, I can't remember how long it actually was. As a kid, it felt like it was hours long, right, when we did the actual program. And I was waiting forever to get out and do my line. And, um, and, uh, and it could have been 90 minutes or two hours for all I know. But, uh, but there were, uh, the house was always packed, always. It was always packed because you had grandmas, grandpas, uncles, aunts, brothers, cousins. Everybody was coming to see the kids do this Christmas program. And the, and the play was a little bit different every year, right? So uh, it would kind of change a little bit depending on who we had and what the focus that year was. Um, but there was one thing that I remember growing up that didn't change every single year. My uncle, Carol Warwick, he would get up and he would wrap up the program every single year by singing a song that came out in the 1970s. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an old song, and some of you might know it, but it's a very simple two-verse song, and looking back, as I was thinking, why, why do you do that every single year? Uh, and I remember even as I was a kid, I was like, why are we singing this again? And we never sang it in church, but we only ever sang it at the end of this Christmas program. And I think that Uncle Carol knew that there were a lot of people in that room that needed to hear that God loved them. And this is, this, is the way, this is the way it went. I'm going to just share it with you. I'm going to sing it a little bit, hopefully, not butcher it, but... Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Jesus to Calvary did go, his love for sinners to show. What he did there brought hope from despair. Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you and me. That's what Paul is trying to get across here. So then he goes on to say in verse 33, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. So you know the one who's the biggest accuser 
of all time? It's Satan. Um, and did you know that the one accuser, Satan, uh, the one thing he wants you he wants to make you think is that even though God has offered you forgiveness in Christ, is a free gift in Jesus Christ, he wants to make you think that you really aren't forgiven, that somehow you've fallen out of grace, that somehow God doesn't love you, that somehow you're not at peace with God. But here's Paul's point. The only person who truly has the right to accuse you of being guilty is God himself. Satan doesn't have that right. God has the right to accuse you of being guilty. And guess what? He gave his one and only son so that the accusation against you, the accusation against me, it falls flat. And so that we might be found righteous and holy in God's eyes, he gave his one and only son. That is assurance. God himself sent his son so that the accusation falls flat. So the answer to the question, who can bring an accusation against God's elect, is God himself, but he's taken care of that accusation in Christ Jesus. God loves you so much that he chose to justify you by the death of his son. That's how much he loves you. And then he goes on to say this, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. So we talked about this before, uh, but we're going to briefly touch on a court of law again. Uh, there's a lot of legal language in Romans. Paul uses a lot of legal language. Um, so you have the accusation, okay? Um, we believe this person might be guilty of this. We accuse them of that in a court of law. And then you have the trial where they're trying to gather all the evidence against, against this uh, person who's the defendant. Uh, and, uh, and then you have the verdict, guilty or not guilty. And you know what? Apart from Jesus Christ, we would be found not guilty. Given all of the evidence, given the accusation, given all of the evidence against us, we would be found not, or we'd be found guilty. Uh, we'd be found guilty in a court of law. But Jesus steps in and he takes the guilty verdict on our behalf. Then you have the sentence, okay, in the court of law that's handed down by the judge. Uh, and so the sentence in this is, is, is just, it's righteous, and it's guaranteed every time. The wages of sin is death. So we've been found guilty of sinning, and the wages of sin, the reckoning for sin, is death. It's condemnation is the word that's used here. But Jesus himself took the condemnation by dying in our place, by dying in your place. Uh, and you see, his continual love for us because he's alive right now and he's standing at the right hand of God and he's saying, I am the perfect sacrifice. I am holy and pleasing to you, God the Father. The accusations against this person, past, present, and future, hold no weight because I died for them and that settled it once and for all. It is finished. There is no accusation that can stand against this person. And what's more, even if there was, I died in their place and took the condemnation. And so it's finished. There is nothing 
that can cause you to fall out of good standing with God. He's taking care of it past, present, and future. God has pronounced you innocent in Christ for all time. That's the nature of the grace of God. We receive favor from him that is not merited. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve the blessings that we've received in Christ. That is how we see the love of God in Christ's death and intervention for us. So we see God's love in the fact that he gave his only son for us and Jesus showed his love for us and that he willingly took the condemnation on our behalf and he's even now interceding for us with God. And Paul continues to just hit this point again and again and again. God has shown you his love, so be certain of his love. And we're gonna move into that certainty part here in the passage. Um, you might find yourself at this point that you affirm those truths. And that's, that's awesome. If you affirm the truth that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that you receive forgiveness for your sins, that he rose again and you are justified and at peace with God, that's great. You acknowledge that those are profound demonstrations of God's love for you. So what are the results of knowing that God has demonstrated his love for you in, in amazingly sacrificial ways? Well, regardless of what life brings our way, we can now rest in God's love. That's an important part of the Christian life, is resting in God's love. Let's take a look at verse 35. Here's what it says. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So, verse 35 there, uh, in, he's reminding us in verses 35 and 36 that this world is not easy. It is not easy. And there are many things that will still happen to you after you place your faith in Christ. Being a Christian is not a guarantee that trouble will not come. In fact, trouble will come and uh, suffering will come, as Pastor Ryan pointed out last week. And then uh, verse 36 hammers the point on persecution and suffering. Do I have verse 36 up there? I think I do. Let's see. Yes, can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or dangerous sword. And then verse 36 says, as it is written, because of you we are put, being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. So verse 36, uh, that's actually, in your Bible, you might notice it's formatted a little differently. Uh, it, uh, it's quoting Psalm 44. Psalm 44, uh, if, if you read through the whole thing, uh, applied to Israel, the people of Israel. And if you, all you have to do is read just a little bit of the Old Testament to know that Israel suffered greatly, that they went through, some of it was their own doing, but uh, some of it was not their own doing. They suffered greatly. And you know what? They were the chosen people of God. And, and you know, sometimes it was because they were the chosen people of God that they suffered greatly. That's something to consider. And so Paul's making a point here. The people of God will suffer sometimes even because they are the people of God. 
But that does not mean that God has abandoned them or doesn't love them. God reiterates over and over again in the Old Testament to Israel. He says, I love you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. These things are happening for a reason to turn you back to me, to sanctify you, to draw you to myself, to help you be faithful to me. That's why these things are happening to you. So Paul is quoting Psalm 44 because he's appealing to their history. They know that Israel suffered, and we know that Israel suffered, and the people of God sometimes suffer. In fact, um, the fact that God hasn't abandoned or forsaken us, um, he's not just talking about getting us through the things in life. Paul also says we're more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. We're not just making it through. So look at verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Uh, Paul's point is this, the perfect love with which God has saved you, has loved you in Christ, the same love that saves you, the same love that will be able to effective, that, that same love that he showed you in dying for you and, and, and saving you, that same love will be able to effectively keep you close to God, safe in his love, regardless of what, what comes your way in life. But but more than staying safe, you will be an overcomer because of the love with which God has loved you. That is what security in God's love, that is what assurance of God's love does for us. We become overcomers. Because of the freedom found in Christ, we don't just weather the afflictions of this life. But the afflictions of this life are used to make us more like Christ. The difficulties of this life, we don't just weather them, but God can use them for our own good. We sing about that all the time. Um, but it's, it's when you stop and you think about the bad things of this life can be used for our own good. Do we really believe that? Because it's rooted in whether or not God, we believe that God loves us and we believe that God is using these things to draw him to himself. So Romans 8, 28 Ryan covered this last week. We know, the question is, do you know? We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. We're called to rest in God's love regardless of the circumstances of life. But we can also more than overcome the things that life throws our way because of the love of God in Christ. So again, God has shown you his love, so be certain of his love. Paul says then in the next few verses, uh, 38 and 39, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The Lord, oh, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause there, actually. Um, that's not the right verse. I'm going to read you the right verse, though, and it says this. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the right verse, and it's an awesome cap to this, to this passage. Um, what he's saying in these last two verses I think is fairly obvious, but I'm going to restate it. He's saying that nothing, absolutely nothing, has separated us or will separa ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we don't have to be afraid of anything. Um, again, he's, 
pointing back to the Old Testament. Here's one of the Psalms. It says, the Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? I will not be afraid because God is for me, not against me. God has demonstrated his love and he's shown us his love and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. His, his purpose. Who, who can separate me from the love of Christ and what can a mere mortal do to me? Because of Christ, our relationship with God is firm and nothing can take away the love that God has for us. So, uh, I was trying to think through application for this passage. And I, I, I mean, up through even last night, I'm like, man, how do you apply this? Uh, I really struggled uh, with like a hands-on thing to give, to give you uh, to do with this. And I think it's because there's so much to do with this passage. Um, actually, there's really the only thing you need to know is that God loves you. You were loved by God, that he gave his only son for you, that he works all things together for your good, even though things may seem bad in the moment. And the fact is that God loves us, and that needs to be at the forefront of our minds constantly. That's why this is here. Paul goes through all of the things, and he reminds us of God's love, and we forget, and we despair, and we shouldn't because God loves us. And we have to constantly come back to that. And I think that that, remembering that, is the application. That God loves us, that God is for us, and he's not against us. So here's, here's what I want to encourage you to do this week. Um, the first thing is this. Uh, memorize Romans 8, 31 through 39. I realize that that's a tall order. So maybe it's going to take you more than, a, more than a week to do that. But having this scripture at, at the tip of your tongue when you're despairing, when you're doubting God's love, when you're not sure of your standing before God, or where, when you're going through something incredibly difficult, reminding yourself that God loves me, God is for me, not against me, that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ, that is so important and so valuable. So I want to encourage you, take some time, and I think you'll be amazed how quickly you can memorize something. Um, Kind of weird tip about memorization. I, when I'm trying to memorize scripture, I do it in the shower. And so just over and over again, trying to, what's the next line? And I remember the next line. Um, it just helps me. And then throughout the day, if I'm like walking around, I'll pull out my phone. That's right. And I'll just, you know, I'll go ahead and that's the next verse. Um, so just throughout the day, constantly reciting it. And you're going to find that being reminded constantly of God's love for you is a game changer. And then the second thing, you can see it there, tell someone about the love, of, the love of God this week. Think of someone else that you can tell this week that God loves them, um, someone that really needs to hear this message. Um, there's, there are so many people in our lives that don't know this, that doubt that God loves them. Begin, I want to encourage you to begin praying for them now, and plan a time to contact, contact them and tell them of God's love in Christ Jesus for them. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes to begin praying, uh, maybe reflect on Romans 8, 31 through 39, and the worship team is going, we're going to transition, and we'll, uh, we'll gather up here and then do the last song together. So uh, here's a couple moments. <laughs>